Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Every stroke counts on the scorecard and every penny counts in the market. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to straightforward pricing with no surprises, so you're free to swing with confidence. Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg. Member SIPC. In today's episode, I welcome on Jaeger Kovic and Clyde Johnson. Jaeger and Clyde are uh, two of the industry's most promising architects. Each has worked for some of the best uh, architects, including Tom Doak and Gil Hans, as well as completing some solo work of their own. They are two of the most well-traveled people in golf. Uh, they've played everywhere, along with their travels for golf architecture. They hit up famous courses as well as you know the hidden gems. Uh, these guys get around, um, and they're responsible for our new series on the website, The Eclectic 18 of the United Kingdom. So in this podcast, we talk about each of their travels as well as the process that they went through to put together uh, the 18 best holes in the UK. So um, go into kind of what the whole series about and uh, why they did it. So we recorded this podcast the week of the Open Championship and uh, we're now on hole three. So um, check out the series on thefriedegg.com and be sure to follow Clyde and Jaeger on Instagram. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. What's your guys' favorite fruit? <laughs> it's got to be the banana, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, yeah, you could guess mine without even thinking about it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually the only fruit I eat. Although the strawberry ice cream or the strawberry milkshakes at Jeanette's in St Andrews are world class. <laughs> the only fruit you eat is banana. Or strawberry and a milkshake. Oh wow! What 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 do you you don't eat any other fruit? You've never had like mango or blueberry. No, I'm a raw carrot man, to be honest. Oh, carrot must have good eyes. <laughs> yeah, I I have uh, memories of Kawhi trying to peel carrots with just like blunt butter knives on the kitchen table over there at dismal river like the first couple of weeks ago oh man he was making a mess with the carrots and uh rice krispies freaking every morning it was unbelievable how that's, that's why i don't peel the carrots anymore <laughs> what there are a lot of guys that worked on that dismal project there are a ton man uh absolutely uh Got Zach Vardy, uh, who's still working with Corin Crenshaw, Blake Conant, who's uh, still doing a lot of work with Tom and uh, helps out with Kai and uh, Schneider a lot and Eckenrode. Um, 
Who else? Brett, uh, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Yance played a part in uh, Bel Air, right? Yeah, big pop. That's, yeah. So lots of guys. That's, uh, what, what's it like working with a lot of young guys at the same time? Like you guys were all interns at that point, right? Yeah, definitely. There were there was like, you know, basically 10 college kids with a rake and a shovel. And uh, if you were really lucky, it was like a turn on the sand pro or, a, you know, early morning on the Schneider might give you a couple hours on the dozer to go uh, do some grunt work or something like that. But mostly it was like a rake and a shovel. And um, Brian was there uh, kind of running the show. Uh, Jonathan Reister was shaping most of the bunkers, at least uh, the year we were there. They did, uh, I guess, like, well, a good handful of greens the previous year with an even smaller crew. Um, I don't know. It was. It was just. It was just a good way to learn. If you can, if you can learn how to run a rake, you can learn how to run a dozer. If you can learn how to run a shovel, you can learn how to run an excavator. And just time watching Brian Schneider and the other the other associates when they were there is is pretty invaluable. Yeah, it was probably pretty cool and helpful too that there was like nothing else to do there, right? I mean, you're trapped in Moen, Nebraska, like, you know, a 30 minute, well, a 30 minute ride to Moen, Nebraska, a town of 491 people. Uh, so it's like, you know, just nonstop, like golf banter, really, if uh, you were, you were like interested in it. I mean, you could be up at 6am uh, talking about, you know, little details out there on site or, you know, wherever our next golf course we wanted to see was. Uh, I mean, we were counting our dope points in the middle of the lunchroom too one day, uh, Clyde, Zach, and I. Um, I mean, it's we're, we'd be going until like dark every night and wake up and do it again. There was there was, there was was nothing else to do. It was uh, just... Coming, coming from the UK, I mean, I never imagined that I'd ever go and play Sandhills or Prairie Dunes and we were sort of in the middle of Nowhere, but in the middle of nowhere was pretty handy for seeing some pretty cool and important pieces of golf course architecture. Yeah, yeah, and like I mean, even so, it was not just like the middle of nowhere, but that was like the most minimalist golf project that like has almost ever been done, right? I mean, there were like twelve greens that were like tracked in, like tilled, cleaned up the all the sort of duff grass, kind of tracked it in, sand proed it off, or Brian did, and you know called it good within like there was like very very little to do in terms of that so it was really like a you know just total crash course and what minimalism could be i mean pretty awfully inspiring i'd say yeah learning learning what to touch and what not to touch was, was pretty good pretty good early lessons right how how much would you compare like that American Lynx Land and in Nebraska and you touched on Prairie Dunes and Kansas to uh, to the UK. Uh, the scales, the scales, are way bigger, I think, compared to compared to most courses. You maybe get a touch touch of the bigger stuff on the west coast of Scotland to a lesser extent, and definitely on the west coast of Ireland. But you know, the dunes tend to be uh, sharper. Uh, in their style and you know the the golf you know is often t- 
tackles it straight on, whereas, you know, those those projects seem to have a little bit more sophistication to them. It's snakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, 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 you know, snakes in Australia are worse. So you guys have both spent uh, a ton of time in the UK. Clyde, you're you're from there. And then uh, Jaeger, I know you you spent a lot of your life over there. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, Clyde, growing up there and going other places. And, and then Jaeger, growing up in America and going there and how your, you know, your golf perception changed. Yeah, so I guess... I guess my interest in golf came, I had an old brewer. I was, as my sister liked, I was either adopted or an accident. Uh, so my older brewer was 11 years older than me. So I got into golf playing pitch and putt when we were on holiday. I was probably about three. He would have been 14. And uh, I sort of grew up on the edge of the Lake District in the northwest of England. And we had a, a small house, but it came with a little half acre, acre field, which we had five sheep to mow it. And we, uh, just just used to start by hitting golf balls in that, mowing out uh, with a petrol cylinder mower and sticking bamboo canes in with flags. And then uh, by, the time, by the time I got older, uh, about 10 or 11, you know, that's when we really started. I was lucky being the, being the, being the youngest one. Uh, sort of by the time I was 11 or so, it was only me going on holiday with my parents. So a lot of our holidays were oh, – we always holidayed to the, to the UK uh, – Scotland, England, and you know, to the coast, and most of my holidays were were based around seeing golf courses. Eighteen, thirty-six holes a day. At that post, at that point, my dad would come and pull my trolley for me, and my mum would just have to find something to do all day and <laughs> meet up for dinner, pretty much. So that was that was my introduction to golf in the UK. Well, I mean, I guess uh, for me, I mean. I grew up in New York City. I I wasn't a member anywhere. I learned how to hit balls by taking a shuttle bus over to the Randall's Island driving range and uh, you know dragging my dad's old Cubs over there. And you know that was sort of you know how I first learned how to swing. And you know growing up in New York City, you kind of always had to travel somewhere to find a golf course. You always I, you know just had to start you know driving somewhere. And there was a bunch of different public options. And somehow I just started weighing uh you know what i like you know golf course wise how far we had to go price things like that um i just sort of started analyzing i think golf courses like that um and you know as i guess my first real trip to the uk um i uh, was actually the day after i graduated college i guess uh one of my best sort of family friends uh as a sort of graduation present offered to uh fly me over to the to the uk and we played uh the old course the next day um that was like that was the coolest thing ever actually we uh we only got a couple rounds in uh in st andrews we did the old you know, sort of the crash course, the uh, Dunhill stuff. So Carnoustie, Kings Barnes, actually had to uh, run home for a postponed jury duty. I couldn't uh, get out of again. But um, so that was sort of like my first taste. And then I've always, you know, Winx Golf and Golf in the UK. And then uh, really when I started working for Tom, um, I guess that was like 2012, I sort of recommitted myself to seeing just 
lots and lots and lots of golf courses. Uh, just working for him, you really understand how important it is um, to travel and see different things and not just the courses that, you know, might be in the open rota, uh, but, you know, the kind of quirky stuff, um, the stuff that's inland, that's, you know, built. Um, even some of the modern courses over there, I think, are kind of interesting in their own way versus the, like, you know, ancient stuff. Um, there's there's so much in sort of every different corner of the UK. And so I kind of kept going back and forth, you know, probably at least once for almost like four years in a row, I think it was. Um, it's probably been six or seven total trips to the UK for me now of like various lengths. But the, you're, I, I always kind of find, you know, sometimes I want to go back and see something that I'd seen when I was much younger. Now that I have maybe a different perspective. Sometimes it's, I want to go study more of like a, you know, I saw one golf course by a particular architect, you know, say like JF Abercrombie, you know, I just had a total crush on the Addington the first time I saw that. So then the next time I went back, I tried to go, you know, at least pick, pick another one of his courses off maybe that was in the area. So there's like sort of lots of different things that, and different reasons that you get, like keep getting pulled back. Um, there's, I mean, there's still so many different corners uh, I need to get to. Um, I don't know. And Clyde, Clyde, you've been to about every corner, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 talking golf courses? Yeah. Uh, I've been pretty fortunate, I guess. I guess it shows you how into it I was, or perhaps how sad you are, depending on your opinion. I think I was, I think I was eight years old when I f- picked up my first golf magazine, and it was the 1996 Golf World UK magazine, top 100 in Great Britain and Ireland, and I think I've made 97 of those. And then I'm at the point now where I just enjoy really seeing under the radar, really, really, really under the radar courses. Uh, went to the Isle of Iona last summer, which was really cool. That was a pound to play. You pay you. you you buy your scorecard from the, the post office or one of the hotels and there's literally just sheep moan it. Sheep moan. Uh, but it's about as pure, about pure of a Lynx experience as you'd ever find. Uh, are, there, are there many Lynx courses left that you haven't seen at this point? It seems uh, like there can't be many. A few. Don't, don't tell Tom I've never been to, uh, I've never been to Pacific Dunes or any of the, the ones in America, but I've seen, <laughs> I've seen those that are worth most that are working in the UK, probably about 200 or so of them. So, you know, there's, there's always, there's only always one hole or one feature, you know, that's worth, that's worth seeing or something to, something to learn from. It's, you know, what's interesting to me is, uh, Jaeger, you touched on this growing up golfing in New York is, and you know, I lived in Chicago, the city for like 10 years is like a seven hour excursion to golf for a city dweller. Isn't a big deal. And in, yeah. in in the UK, a seven hour excursion, you can go almost like anywhere on the mainland. Yeah, you've probably driven past about fifty to hundred really good golf courses. Yeah. Even ones that even ones that people haven't heard of, they're pretty good. Uh their their right. Their perspective on distance is so warped, especially when they come to this country. Like we'd be sitting in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and Cloud would be like, Oh well, look, that one's just like you know, it's just right there to Prairie Dunes or, you know, just right up there, Sutton Bay or, you know, like, dude, do you not understand how 
how far that is on the like one inch is like seven hours worth of driving. It's it's wild. So, but I mean, the guy we're talking to has no he doesn't care. He's going to wake up at three in the morning and drive seven hours to see, you know, you just got to pack them all in. You just got to be willing to do like 36, 54 a day, make it worth it. See something cool on the way. You don't just like drive straight to the hits. You got to see like, there's always probably something funky, like on the way back. Um, if you're, if you're willing to, to go for it, I guess, like, the worst, the worst one I've ever done was uh, when I was I was on the helping out at Tauriti in New Zealand, and Mick Henderson, the Australian guy who's also on the art department there, me and him, well, he, his wife was back in Melbourne, so on our days off, we'd, we'd go and see the country golf courses of New Zealand, and one weekend we drove nine hours to go and see a nine-hole Lynx course that was probably a dope too. <laughs> so, but, I mean, it, yeah, case, but I mean, you never, we would have never seen Danbrog if we didn't go all the way to Firethorn. Yeah, yeah, I made, it. I made both. Right, was, how could you not? You know, I'll talk talk about that at least a couple times a year. Yeah, that had one. Of the, that had one of the coolest greens imaginable. In well, cool, maybe not the right word, but wacky. The uh, sand green in the middle of a grain silo. Yeah, that's right. The second hole, I think. Yeah. I uh I, I was at Prairie Dunes a couple weeks ago and uh Garrett uh Morrison and I stopped in to see uh Faldo's course right next to Prairie Dunes. And uh we drove in. I mean, you could see these beautiful dunes. It was like, oh, this thing could be amazing. We turned in, saw like four containment mounding moundings that were identical size behind a a, a green, and then the next hole we saw had a man made lake. And then we drove in. There was no cars in the parking lot, and then turned around and drove out. <laughs> Shouldn't have gone in, man. It looks real good, like from yeah, like we, what you can make out from the road. It looks awesome. So great entrance. That, yeah. That's on you. That's on you. <laughs> it was it's best like, to wonder sometimes. It's like the best entrance too. It's like got this like great like kind of gravel road, and you're you're driving between dunes with this vegetation, but. That's, I think that's the joy, though, of it sometimes. There's nothing, no better feeling, I feel like, than when you when you roll up and you find a course that very few and nobody knows about, and it just blows, it, like, your expectations are just exceeded. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta find out for yourself sometimes. You, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's got different tastes. You just gotta go out there and keep seeing different things, and you know, find what you like, find what works for you. I, it's probably going to change as you see more, learn more, get older. I don't know, all sorts of different, but like, that's the cool thing. It's like just going to just discover something, right? Um, I don't know. One of my favorite elements of seeing new golf courses is almost the adventure of getting to the places. You know, I look at, I look at the places I've been to that I probably never would have ever gone to in my life otherwise. You know, that'd be pretty yeah, cool. No doubt. Is pretty cool landscape experiences from just seeing one picture of a golf course that you know it might be one good hole there in 18 that but it looks like it could be really cool from a topo or a google earth or just you know just one lousy website picture and that's part yeah, of it and it's always different too as to like what brings you there because like you know sometimes all 
you know, read everything I could possibly read on that golf course or that architect or like a whole bunch of the different holes that are on it. And sometimes it's like you see one picture. Sometimes it's just a name on a list as you were going down and seeing something or you just drove past it half the time in the UK. It seems like, I, I mean, there's, there's all different, different things. It's always a bit of a, you know, sometimes you leave it as, as more of a surprise. Sometimes if it's like, man, you only know you're going to get one chance, you know, maybe it's worth doing a bit of a uh, bit more research on the way in. And then it's different, you know, if you, if you walk versus play, and uh, you're, you're going to have a different experience. You're going to see a lot of different things. You might learn a lot more walking or versus playing. Kind of ideally, you kind of do the walk and then play if you have enough time, if you really, really, really want to learn about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, It's always different, right? That's the They're, they're all different. Especially, especially when you're in the UK as well. You go to the average golf course and the chances are it's going to be pretty interesting because they never really destroyed any of the cool features that were part of the landscape. And, you know, the towns are already pretty well established at that point. So the landscape or the, you know, the sites that were left for golf might not have been ideal, especially in land. And, you know, they're often quite funky. There's some funky feature or two that, you know, makes it worthwhile. And worst comes to the worst, you've probably only paid 20, 30, 40 quid at the average club golf course. And, you know, it's not too, you're not too bad. Two and a half, three hours, three and a half hours later. Yeah. Less time and less money is is an appealing thing about UK golf, you know. Yeah, and that and that comes from less expectations too. You know, as long as the greens are playing pretty well, mm-hmm. you know, people aren't going to complain about the fairways being slightly scruffy or the tees not being completely flat. So, so we uh, we just kicked off on the website your guys' series, the eclectic eighteen of the UK. So, pretty neat. It's uh. It's a hole by hole, and the rules of it are: you, you can only pick one uh, a course once. So you can only pick one hole of a course once, and it goes in the order. So if it's the second hole at a golf course, it has to be the second hole in this in this uh, routing of yours. Talk to us a little bit about kind of your process and and the rules that you set for yourself for this uh, eclectic eighteen. Well, uh, I mean, the whole thing sort of came about in sort of a just funny, organic way, I guess. Uh, you know, you would send me a text, I think, sometime over the winter, like, you know, what sort of whole deep dive uh, from something in the UK I might be able to do, right? So uh, I just started looking through some photos on uh, Basically, every photo I had of every golf course I've ever been to in the UK. <laughs> and I was like giving my friends a personal tour by, uh, by a group text. And uh, I, one of them had the, had the, he's like, man, why don't, why don't you just pick like the best, you know, one? Like, well, what do you mean? And it's like, so it turned it into the eclectic, which is, you know, not, not something we created, right? You know, the, these eclectic routings um, where it's like, you know, the standard is, you know, the fourth at Woking has to be the fourth at, on your course. The 18th at St. Andrews would have to be the 18th on your course. And so, um, you know, that, that was pretty much, you know, just the basis of it. And, um, you know, we've 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 seen them in the confidential guide. Uh, Tom always did one uh, in the more recent volumes. He's got, you know, a consensus one between the four authors and each one of them did 
the individual. So kind of as we were talking and I was going through all this stuff, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can do all of this on my own. Plus, you know, there's only, you know, Clyde's the person I really sort of, you can't really do it without him. I'm going to be asking him about every one of these anyways. So, uh, you know, I figured we had to involve him and then, yeah. So it's like an absolutely torturous process of trying to come up with these things. I spent like that week after we sort of came up with the idea, basically pulling my hair out. I, I, it was, it, it's, it's incredible. You know, I just started writing down you know, the best sort of holes as I kind of went through. And then as I started piecing them together, you know, first I was like, well, maybe I could do the George Thomas thing, right? You know, pick five par threes and then route the par threes first, you know? So I tried to do that a couple of times and within about five holes, I just bailed. I was like, yeah, this wasn't working. I just kind of went my own direction. Um, you know, often the holes I'd probably start with through like, you know, 11 at St. Andrews. I had awesome ones from Bry in, uh, you know, sometimes even the, the 13th at the Addington, like there's, there's, there's tons, but like, you know, I was always searching for like the sucker short, you know, I'm a sucker for like the short part three. So I, I started looking for things like that and it just sort of kept evolving. I did like a whole bunch of them over the course of that week. And like, for whatever reason, I just, you know, I think that I would have ended up with lots of short part threes, short fours, like things like that. I kept ending up with like somewhere between like par 73 and 75 with all these like risk reward kind of funky par fives and things like that. But, um, so I just kept driving myself crazy until I was able to, to finally narrow it down into uh sort of more of a cohesive, cohesive, like golf course that you might actually want to play every day uh, versus getting your head beat in. And that's kind of quite weird how you ended up with a par 73. Cause I mean, you think, I think of my, most of my favorite golf courses in the UK, Great Britain. <laughs> And, you know, most, most of them are around 6,400 yards. But. Well, that was the, the funny thing is they kept coming in at like 6,300, but somehow they'd be like, you know, over par 72. And I, 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 I guess that I just picked like all the shortest, shortest par fives in, in the entire country over there. It was like, I didn't, because they were the only ones I could get to maybe. I don't know. Like, I, I, it was just bizarre. So, um, you know, once we kind of went back. Par five. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's too funny. Uh, but, you know, there are other things like we really wanted to highlight in this in this piece, you know, really take people to the places that they wouldn't maybe normally go or have heard of before. It's we're not just going to play the hits either. Um, you know, it's, it's there's a lot more, more to, you know, just the best hole at, at each. Um, and then, you know, I think uh, even as you look at like the first hole, right, you know, and the importance of in the UK of like how the, the town's relationship to like the, the starting hole and the finishing hole. And, you know, you've got other things like, you know, railroad tracks, you know, all this sort of different uh, culture aspects of golf in the United Kingdom that we kind of wanted to somehow intertwine into, into this. I, I guess I started off by listing all my favorite holes from what I thought were, you know, the truly, the truly great golf courses over here. So that's the old course, obviously being the best anywhere. And then places like Muirfield, Donut, uh, Prestwick, North Berwick. Uh, yeah, Saint I mean, oh. there's so many of those those courses too where you could use like six or seven holes from at, at least on, on a bunch of those, like, you know, 
And so you can, you could kind of fill in sort of maybe some of the holes that didn't strike you as the strongest. And, you know, I mean, how many 13s uh, did we look at and torture ourselves with on like the consensus? It's pretty amazing just how many, you know, of those world-class holes seems to, you know, stack up at the same number here or there. So, um, you know, it's funny, we kind of left out some of the real big ones too. They just didn't end up fitting in the, in the end. Yeah, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of cool holes that, you know, someone like Sean Abel, who's on post on Golf Atlas a lot, who would, you know, he likes to call them all England candidates or all Scotland candidates that are really cool that most people heard of. It would have pretty good merit, but, you know, the, the best, the best golf courses are, you the best because, you know, they've got the grounds and we probably gave the edge to those that were a little bit more well-known than others in certain cases. Yeah. I so, mean, it was funny too. We, we tried one consensus together. We just went one, we alternated one, two, three, four uh, odds and evens. And it did not work out well either. We scrapped that pretty quickly. It, it was, it came out with a, a rather long, I, was it a 73 again, quite, I think maybe. And just like, we sort of like forced, you know, going that way seemed to like, you know, we each just wanted to be like, you kind of just wanted to be able to pick the next great course versus, uh, you know, tell the story maybe the way we were looking to do it. So what we ended up doing uh, the second time was sort of went with like, we alternated again, but you could pick kind of anywhere within the, the 18. So we kind of had like a, a draft, if you will. So, you know, the, the first hole we ended up picking was, um, I guess it was the 13th at North Barrick West, the pit, you know, I, somehow I won the, the coin toss for the first hole. And, um, you know, I picked the, the hole that at the time was the hole in the whole United, the whole world that I wanted to see the most. Uh, when I finally got to North Barrick, there was, that was easily the, uh, the, the one hole anywhere in the world that just, drew me to that place more than more than anything um in the past it was you know at the time the the second on that list would have been the 10th at riviera so you know it's those are those are the kind of things that are worth getting on a plane for i'd say but then you know you know you pick you pick north very quest 13 and you're giving up the, the second hole at north the great hole you're giving up the 15th Freshwick. it's a great hole and you're giving up the 16th at North Berwick, it's got a great green site, and you know it's it was a big bouncing act. So, so that's how you guys settled yeah. on it is you went one by one. Yeah, although there was definitely uh, you know maybe a little bit of collusion, kind you know there was it was NFL it was the NFL draft week too, so you know there's always some behind the scenes action going on. Uh, you know, once we kind of started to see how things were going, you know, Clyde's also been to like you know a hundred, you know hundreds of more golf courses in the UK that I've been to. So there's, there's places where he was going to be able to to add something that I couldn't. So, so, you know, maybe we might've made a trade here or there so that I could from, from my repertoire that, and he could add in something a little bit more off the map. Um, you probably like, you know, I'm sure people are already hammering us for not picking uh Rahanish on the first hole, but like, I'd never been there and I went with something else on the first hole, but so, you know, that's just how it goes. What, Clyde, would your, would your pick a bed Macaranish? Yeah, the first it was. 
it was it wasn't the individual ones that we did. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, there's some you know some like Highlight's got a really good, strong, strategic long four. If that's if that's where you want to go, uh, the first hill at Royal Aberdeen's a is a beautiful one that plays right out towards the North Sea. Uh, yep. Yeah. I mean, people people are always going to throw out like Berkshire Blue, the long par three. Uh, I just. <laughs> I wouldn't want to start that way. I, it's, that's not my sort of I, ideal starting hole. I mean, to me, like if you're going to do an eclectic 18, you want you want something that's going to have you like not being able to sleep for like weeks, knowing that your trip's coming. You you don't you know you want to be just so pumped as you're pulling into the parking lot. There's going to be something special that's going to make you like you just be dreaming of hitting that first tee shot for like hours days much like you know something that's really worth getting on the plane just just to hit that one shot so um, so tell me and then off you go tell me about presswick's first first hole that makes you feel that way for those that i mean we just we put the article up about the first this week and it'll be a weekly series going forward jaeger spoiled the 13th already but that's fine but the first hole of presswick you know <laughs> like what makes it a great first hole what makes you dream about that tee shot? Um, it's, go for it. It's the use of it's the use of the, it's the use of the strategic use of the out of, out of bounds. I think that really does it for me. Uh, I mean, especially for the north, there's not many whole you know out of bounds common in in the UK still. I mean, some of them have been some of them have been new, and some of the famous ones like the Dowie Hole at High Lake and the Royal Hole there have been. Have been muted a little bit uh, to some extent. You know, a lot of them survive still. It's just it's just a combination of the the out of bounds wall uh, with the with the dune that it's in. It's just natural versus artificial, and just making you know making use of what was there to make a really intriguing golf hole that never gets boring. You know, the further, the closer the closer you play to the to the out of bounds the better angle you get in. And one of these days, you're going to hit the train that's coming from Glasgow down towards there. So you start it, aiming from the left and you've got a horrible angle. Yeah, you, you don't even, you don't even have like the full reliability of like the being able to just smash a driver and off you go there. I mean, cause you can, you can hit it through the fairway if you hit it, a, a, even an okay drive most of the time. So it's like, you know, kind of one of those holes where there's like, so many different strategies that there's like no strategy almost. And it's just an absolute free for all. Like you can bump one up there. You can hit a long iron. You can hit like literally anything you want off the tee. Thing is like, you can hit a putter. Can't miss. I mean, pretty much. Then, uh, but it's, then it's funny because then you have like the forced carry on the next one. So it's like, you know, if, if you really screw it up, you can really screw it up. Uh, in a heartbeat um, and it just funnels and funnels and funnels the more the more length you want to hit the more you want to rely on that big uh, you know I personally I just like the freaking smash the driver off the because I know I'm not going to miss a tennis racket I'm scared to death of like the long iron but like that's why like, you feel it in your hands like standing on the tee like there's there's no way to sort of replicate that that feeling um Green you know, and just like pardon the green complex is pretty cute too you know there's the there's the there's the pot bunker on the front left that really squeezes it to make to make the reward for going down the down the railway line really worthwhile that it just sort of sits in a gentle yeah. saddle and, 
peeking it like nice nice little chip shots over the the bunkers they're like way back you know there's like some carry bunkers in the approach but they're way back at like i don't know like 40 50 yards short so you can like chip and bump and run one up there even if you know kind of from wherever and you know start to get a little bit of that like taste for uh that fast and firm stuff kind of right off the bat so it's it's really got about everything um and just like the historic nature of of the place like there's there's no way you can't pull into that parking lot dressed in a coat and tie uh just knowing you're just gonna have one hell of a freaking day it doesn't matter how many times you've been there or whatever it's just like it's the first it you you absolutely must get there and you know you know, it's open week, and that was the first first open, right? Yeah. And the, the prevailing wind also is blowing from left to right, normally towards the out of bounds, and it's a surprisingly pretty hole as well. Uh, you've got, I just, the, got the churchyard that sits on the hill above the railway line, and there's some beautiful textures with the heather and the marram and bent grasses on the left. It was it was hard to see the textures the day we played because. Uh, it was freaking snowing and hailing and raining. Although we did get some sun for like two holes. It was uh, one of the most ridiculous golfing experiences I've ever had in my life. We had the uh, entire golf course to ourselves, having driven from St. Andrews across the country to Prestwick that morning and like two inches of snow, like blanketed the whole country. So we get out there and we're like, we've got videos of hidden tee shots out there. It's just like white everywhere. It's just absolute nonsense so on a personal note it just that's a round of golf that i will never forget in my life so uh that's, you know why not that's uh you know i think there's no the out of bounds line the use of the out of bounds line is one of the most brilliant things in golf it's so simple but then right off the bat like there's no harder shot to flirt with an out of bounds line than the first one because like nobody wants to be Teeing up again, hitting hitting three on the first hole. It's just like an ominous way to start any round. Yep. Um, yep. So it, it, with this week being uh, the open, I know Clyde, you've been uh, you've been out to Port Rush. Jaeger hasn't. Um, how many holes would you have had marked as considered for the Eclectic eighteen from Port Rush? Uh. Calamity, the six, it's now the, we used to be the 14th pole, it's now the 16th pole after the, the recent reconfiguration to host the Open. That's a, a great long par three with death to the right. You sort of play from the base of the dune and you play up to, up along the dune ridge. Uh, dune ridge. Uh, I'm pretty fond of the the short, uh, the early, I mean, the, uh, the fifth hole that, that turns hard towards the, the ocean. Short to mid par four. Uh, the short par three on the mid par three that follows that has got a beautiful green. Uh, even the, the fourth hole is a great, a great hole. It sort of plays across across the side slope uh, with the wind howling normally off the left towards the out of bounds on the right and a cute little green that sits in uh, a saddle, pretty bowl type green site. So be three or four, I'd be thinking pretty hard about. Mm-hmm. So it, with uh, with with uh, Portrush, what I guess what kind of unique characteristics does it have compared to the other open rota courses that we we typically see? Uh, I think the elevation change probably is the is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, 
it's it's fairly it's fairly brawny in that sense of the word. You know, the first hole you play uphill, uh, you sort of tackle on the top five, turn, like I said, five turns and dog legs towards the, the cliffs and don't lose castle in the background. Uh, and then the, the new holes, you drop into the former valley course, which is par five, the seventh, and an eighth that plays back up along the ridge line. Uh, you sort of tack back and in and around uh, from the centre of the site. And then you sort of wrap up up and over the top at the 15th. That's a, a beautiful par four that climbs and tumbles down over some rumbling terrain. And long looks pretty scary. And then about 200 yards beyond that, you've got the, the primary dune ridge and the waves that are crashing beyond that. And then after Calamity, it's a... It's an up and over that for the pros will be a pretty short par four. The 17th, so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think the green complexes as well. You know, I, I drove, actually drove past Portrush on Monday, uh, but I, I last played there last year uh, with Brian Schneider, one of Tom's associates, and you know we were we were pleasantly refreshed and reminded. Uh, it'd been about 10 years since I'd been there before, and a similar amount of time is not long for him. And you know just how cool the green complexes. Uh, you know, Colt, Colt came in and did a, a redesign there. So most of the greens are, are his, and unlike most of the, the links courses that we know on the rotor, you know, that have evolved a lot over time, uh, there's a, a fairly consistent set of greens there that are just really elegant, and there's, you know, with big, bold drop offs around them. Uh, you know, sort of, you know, if you miss, the recovery shot's going to be pretty interesting, I think, to watch this week. Yeah, so those those green complexes with the runoffs should be showcase short game a little bit more than we see um, year in year out, and and a lot of different types of shots is what you're saying, right? Uh, uh, yeah, probably probably different types of shots. Just just the boldness of the you know the elevation that you've got to overcome if you miss the green at the short par three. Third uh, hole is pretty interesting, sort of like on a little knoll. If you miss that, you're going to be way below the green. Six again, another par three. But, uh, five as well. You know, if you miss that on the inside, the ball's going to tumble maybe 10, 12 feet below the green. You know, the greens are pretty receptive and those guys are good. And it's, you know, it's sort of been a, a so-so summer in Ireland. In, well, anyway, in, in Britain and Ireland in terms of the weather, it's been nowhere near as dry as last year. So it'll be relatively receptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just depends how the, you know, how much the wind blows as to whether those guys are going to be missing the greens enough to to see those recovery shots. I think. So, so with the with the eclectic eighteen, you obviously you got England, Scotland, and Ireland um, all together. How did it break down in terms of you know which of the three uh, countries got the most golf courses in there? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so England, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. I'm not sure if we yeah, definitely we did include. We include, I think we did include a hole from from Wales. Uh, so it was fairly it was fairly Scotland centric, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I haven't really counted before. I'm just trying to. I think England might have had the most. Yeah, I'm I, counting... I think I just counted nine real quick for Seven England. Scotland. There you go. One Wales, one Northern Ireland. Oh no, I don't think I don't think we had one from Wales in the end. Uh, maybe a uh, maybe a uh, honorable mention. Yeah, you stole me on the pick. I was going to pick the seventh hole at Pennard, Wales, <laughs> uh, which is a James Braid. True. Yep. 
they call it linked in the sky. You play, it goes out towards the cliffs of the cliffs of Moher, uh, the south of Wales there. But the, the centipedes are beautiful, you know, mid par fall, it tumbles over, tumbles down, pain, you know, their estuary in the distance, the castle in the foreground, which is next to the castle ruins next to the green site. Uh, just really bold and rumpling, ruffled terrain, and then the green. So it's got a high section that rolls down into a bowl, and right beyond it is a view for as far as you can see down Sandy Estuary and towards the, the English Channel. So that was it was a pretty good hole to beat that one out, but Jaeger hadn't been there, so perhaps that's that's what really. Well, I mean, yeah, I think we ended up with a pretty pretty good one, you know, pretty. Well, uh, a good representation, I think, for our list at, at seven. I don't know if we want to keep giving them away or what, but, uh, you know, we had to always throw in some quirk with, you know, back-to-back par threes somewhere or something funky like that, right? Yeah, talk about talk about the process of, you know, getting to make this imaginary routing. Like, and you know, you've got your kind of gung-ho, a lot of gung-ho rules about architecture or faux rules, like, you know, par 72. It's not par 72, we got right. They're all adjusted par pars. Yeah, yeah. We, we get it. But uh, did you figure out the adjusted par yet for ours? No, no, no. I haven't. I, you know, I'd have to. I'd have to really dive in. But I'm curious about. Uh, did it was there a a, type, a cadence or a rhythm or you know something that you guys were striving for or in the back of your mind when you were putting this together? Um. Well, we definitely definitely wanted to make sure that our our 18 represented shorter courses in general i'd say um we really didn't want to just emphasize like big brawny long holes and beat people up at all you know it seems like golf in the uk is really more uh you know some of our favorites are more like par 68 par 69 is like the real the real sort of shorter courses um you know, you're going to see things like Swinley Forest, uh, you know, where you're going to see nine hole courses on our list. You're going to see like, you know, places that, that might have six par threes, things like that. So it's not, you know, we're, we're really trying to to highlight those sorts of things, you know, and get people familiar with those types of courses that you, you'd see over there versus uh, sort of your more kind of standardized thing you might uh golf course you might see in the states um and then it was also like a balancing act between inland courses wings courses courses you know more of like the bigger dunes perhaps more in scotland you know some of the other stuff uh along the english channel um you know you talked a little bit about you know the open this week over in northern ireland and it's like you know we were talking earlier about the difference between you know Ireland and Scotland and, you know, the Lynx courses there um, and how they might different, you know, feature wise, you know, it's funny because as we were talking about it before, it's like, you know, I've made probably six trips to the UK in general and, you know, not, not, not one of them actually is, is yet to be in, you know, anywhere in Ireland. Um, you know, and it's like, well, there's some golf courses over there that are like super high on my list of places to see in the world, but maybe we wouldn't learn quite as much or be able to take away as much. Um, and, you know, there might be one or two, you know, something more worth of interest for our work that you could find, find elsewhere. Um, maybe more in the Heathlands or, or somewhere like that. I don't know. 
Yeah, and I, I tend to be a bit of a contrarian as well. So some of the picks, you know, just from the very nature of picking some, some slightly unusual holes, I think adds a little bit of diversity and interest to the maker. Give it like to Gating. I'm, I'm pretty. I won't give it away, but I'm pretty sure no one will have guessed where I would have picked for the second hole. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, eight, you know, 18 was an interesting run, right? You know, it's balancing the the, the town stuff there. Um, you know, it's like I've I've had a bunch of people try to guess some stuff since the the preamble came out like a week ago, and it's like. I'd say four out of every five guesses is wrong. Um, you know, we're not, we didn't just go for the, the chalk hits either. Um, you know, it's, I mean, uh, there's, I don't know, there's definitely a few courses, personal favorites. Pick it, picking a hole from say Andrews is really difficult for me. Cause you know, I'd argue it's probably maybe got the best pathway in the world. Definitely got the best pathway in the world. And, Probably, probably the best par five in the world too. You know which which one do you go for? Mm-hmm. What also, is there would, any architect that's ever played the old course more than Clyde at this point, who lives in St Andrews and, uh, and that's his home course? So it's pretty neat to have him try to figure out. You know, I had to leave the old course to him. There's no way I was taking that that one away from him. I mean, it's the best the best tour guide anyone could have around there too. So that's pretty sweet. I was I was gonna say. Uh, I, in terms of like what I guess what course or what hole was the toughest one to leave off this list? Hmm. Probably the road hole for me, which is giving it away a little bit. What we picked for it hasn't given away what we picked for seventeen, but. It's just pretty timeless. It? it never. You know, I'm not a big fan of how the mowing it currently. The mowing lines have taken away a lot of the strategy from how the hole should be played. But it just, you know, it never. It doesn't get any better than playing that second shot into the green or away from the green. More often than not, if you're trying to protect the score or you're just playing sensibly. There, there's definitely like three courses on here that people are. Kind of really wonder how the hell we left them off, but I think the one that, to me that didn't end up in the consensus was uh, uh, Woking. Actually, um, that that golf course had such an incredible impact on inland golf and the history of like golf architecture, at least in terms of built golf architecture, we might say versus found, if you will. I, I uh, that's. So it's, it's, you know, it's in the honorable mentions. It was on my, my personal list, I believe, uh, although I tortured myself on that one a bunch, but that to me was probably the, the one that, um, I might miss the most. Yeah. I mean, we, do, we haven't included anywhere for sort of like Royal County down. Uh, you know, that's, that's partly because I hadn't been there in about 10 years and I got to walk it a couple of weeks ago when the, the, the ladies amateur championship was on. <laughs> Walking around there, it's just like, oh yeah, this is this is really good. How did we include anything from here? But you know, that's you know, so there's a little bit of bias in oh. terms of how recently we've seen golf courses as well, no doubt. Well, you can all, we can always do a revise, you know, an a, amendment, you know, or or something uh, different. That's, you, you never get it perfect, man. There's no, there's no way. It's absolute torture. Like, I I went at it for like, you know, I must have done ten any of these over the course of like a week and I'm not doing it again. It's, it's not fun. Um, 
you know, maybe maybe we'll try try one again in the U.S. or something like that at some time. But like, it is brutal. Um, and I'm sure we'll just go down in flames on the internet for all our bad choices. But that's all right. That's it's funny. I since we we've started this conversation, all my head's been doing has been thinking about like an eclectic eighteen of of the Midwest, Clyde. Clive's talking about the road hole at St. Andrews. I'm the like, Midwest. And I'm like, you know, the road hole at uh, Shore Acres is pretty good. You know, that should be the 10th hole. But uh, it's funny. But then I'm like, oh, it could be the 11th there, too. It's, it's just like crazy how how uh, it gets your mind thinking when you do an exercise well, that, like, like like this. It's like in you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you just talk. You're talking about like road holes and stuff like that. So that was a thing that crossed my mind a bunch when we, when I was always doing mine. It's like, you know, holes did not just, you know, they had influence, uh, and not just, you know, at their golf course or maybe in the country, but like literally around the world. So, you know, there's, there's been golf architects and people traveling to the UK, you know, forever that come back and, you know, Charles Burr McDonald, Tillinghast, uh, Gil, Tom, I mean, Ben Crenshaw, like you, you name it, right? Everyone's gone over there and seen stuff and studied stuff and brought something back. And, you know, sort of some of that, that impact had to somehow find its way into our list. I think, it, you know, at least across my mind as to, you know, why I went there, you know, what, you know, what might drive people to go there too. Um, you know, at least from the U.S., right? You know, Clyde's perspective is different as someone that lives there. Um, and sort of, you know, uh, was able to see a lot of these these places, you know, without having to get on an airplane. But if you're going to make that like leap, you know, sometimes there 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 are things like that that like you know, part of what inspires you to go somewhere. But yeah, and then it's like, well, if you did one in the U.S., are you going to, you know, how many of those kind of holes that are sort of replicated or templated off something else that you you might put in put in there? But the U.S. is so much bigger though, like. There's so many, so many more choices. And for what it's worth, there's plenty of there's plenty of stuff I've seen in American golf, especially American parkland golf, that I'd love to bring back to the UK one of these days to an inland site. So it works both ways. It's uh, what uh, so you know, kind of parting parting thoughts. Well, we you know, since both of you guys are very very well traveled, Clyde, you know, extremely extraordinarily well traveled in the in the UK. And uh, even, you know, Australia, New Zealand and Jaeger, extremely well traveled, extremely, you know, lots of trips to the UK. If you're uh, if you've never gone, where's the where's the first place you got to go? You know, say you got 10 days. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, I think I think there's more, di- you know, if you're if you're a big art, golf course architecture fan, there's probably more diversity to be had from a trip to. England, especially the southeast of England, uh, but it'd be hard to, you know, the had a, had the owner of South Cape in in South Korea contact me for some advice very recently. I'd been there with Tom on a trip a couple of years, Tom Doak a couple of years ago on a trip, and uh, you know, I said to him the the five courses that you mu- you absolutely must see: the old course, uh, Dornick Muirfield, and then. Presswick, uh, North Berwick are the five you absolutely must see. And then, you know, you'd think about putting places like Cruden Bay and Macrahanish in that list. But, you know, there's quite a lot of traveling to be done there. So, you know, you, you just, you're good. 
he's just as good packing up in St Andrews for five days, playing the old course as much as you can, playing some of the, the cool little ones around there like Ely. Uh, the Eden course at St Andrews has got a really cool set of greens. Oh, it's got nine really set, nine really cool greens. That's about, uh, and then going and spending some time in East Lobian, you know, staying I, off Berwick, play, play Newfield if you can, and then little places like Kilspindy, uh, Gullen number three, uh, just, just play North Berwick every day. You'll be good. Uh, but is that? Yeah, I think you were. Yeah, I think thing, you're pretty though? good. Is what? that like? I mean, this is something I think about a lot. Like, is it better to see some of these places twice than seeing another place once? Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you take ten, you take ten rounds on the old course if it was given to you for ten days. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I didn't get. I mean, I was I was pretty young, and uh, I guess you would say I wasn't wasn't woke yet. I suppose uh, the f- first time I saw it, um, the second time certainly made a huge difference to me there. Uh, there's, but like North Berwick, I ended up playing probably three or four days in a row, or at least four days within a week. Um, and just going around there over and over again, just really planted it at one of my absolute three favorites in the world. Um, and I, I, you know, I loved it after one, but there's no way that you're not going to want another taste at the some of those holes a second time, right? I mean, just to go back and just keep banging putts off the wall on the pit or trying to get over it in different ways. Um, you know, there's, you're definitely not going to pick the right line on a whole bunch of the holes and the wind's going to change. And anyway, it's, that's, you know, half the time you go around, even, you know, like St. Andrews, you, you're not going to know where you're going. Um, at least you still won't probably after 10 plays, but uh, I, I do think it's, if you can, I, I do think that the ideal way, if you really want to study stuff is to walk and then play but sometimes playing just at least twice, um, not necessarily twice in the same day, but within a week or so, you'd see a lot of different things. Um, You'd end up in a lot of different places. Uh, You'd see things from different angles. Um, I think it makes makes a big difference. Yeah, so everybody just needs to quit their jobs and go over there and play, play for a year, right? At least. I wish. (laughs) <laughs> you just got to find a way to like get your job to take you closer. That's the trick. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's the best spot in the world that, you know, in terms of concentration without a doubt, you know, it's, it's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. So uh, we'll we'll look for this. It'll be up every Tuesday. Eclectic eighteen um, articles. It will be uh, whole ones up. The the Presswick write ups up, and uh, next week we'll have uh, whole two, which is probably going to surprise some people, right? Yeah, I hope so. Definitely. All right, maybe we'll do a do a pod when you get when we get uh, we get done with this, and and and. Uh, talk more in depth about some of the decisions. 